Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is producer Martin and welcome to another Big Inside View. When England reached the final of FIFA's Under-17 World Cup by beating Brazil 3-1 in midweek, we decided to record something with Graham. The final's tomorrow, Saturday, October 28th, against Spain, and this is a preview for that game. We talk about Phil Foden, the 17-year-old English kid Pep Guardiola has fallen in love with, Liverpool's Rianne Brewster, and other names to look out for, but we also talk about what's going right in English football and draw comparisons with Spain. Hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, Graham, welcome to another Big Inside View. We're recording this Friday, October 27th. We're 24 hours out from the Under-17 World Cup final in Kolkata. Brilliant. This is very William Shatner. This is Stardate. <laughs> Captain's lock. Captain Greg. Starfleet Commander Greg. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, oh, brilliant. brilliant. So, What's the weather like? Cause, well, you missed the weather, right? The weather is stunning. It's a stunning autumnal day in Scotland first fly of the big inside view I should really be Scotty in this scenario surely <laughs> anyway anyway anyway. Right, I'll, I'll be Spocky um, let, let, let me sketch in the context for our discussion which is um, the quite astonishing success of England at youth international level over the past year um, this is going to be the fourth major final of the year uh, under 20s won the World Cup in June under 19s won the European Championship the under 17s lost to Spain last year in the European Championships uh, the under 21s reached the semi of the uh, European Championships in Poland this summer things are going pretty well um, I, I want to kick off by talking about this under 17 side Graham 
they're a really exciting team to watch, their style of play. Um, it seems like the the way they approach the game more than anything is is the cause for such excitement over what's happening. Yeah, um, yeah, listen, I don't care about Scots who now call me a turncoat because I certainly grew up with this idea that, you know, at all costs, uh, beat England when you're not playing England, wish them to fall over. I I really have wanted England at a national level to do well, to do better than they've been doing for a long time because I find it such a boring, hackneyed cliche that um, they qualify with ease, they turn up at a tournament, they play about at their level and it, it turns into a massive drama because the media has hyped them up beforehand and then falls flat on their face afterwards. There's a little bit of hooligans tanked up on whatever, kicking the hell out of locals in the midst, and you think, we've just been through a dirty experience, I need a shower. I don't want that. I, I, want, the, I want the roll call of talent at major international tournaments, not only to keep refreshing... I, I want another team that intrigues me, that attracts me, that makes me turn on the television. Now, this year of um, triumph that you're talking about doesn't automatically mean that we're going to see England winning the Euros in 2020 or the World Cup, wherever it is in 2022. Let's hope it's Australia or the United States. Um, but what I think it does do is engage the, the, the socios, their minds, our minds. You've made the point, I think, by, by listing the 17s, 19s and 21s, that it's not a generational thing, that it's, it's probably some form of systematic advance. And I'd buy, I'd buy into that because, number one, if you're a serious footballing nation at international level, you have to have a, a national centre where ideas coalesce where the Brains Trust works out philosophies and enshrines them and passes them on both um, throughout the coaching network in the country and to the kids when they come uh, and work and develop, not just as footballers but as human beings, which is a theme that you and I know because of our shared interest in, in, in the rivals and how they've developed over the years, Spain. I know we'll come back to that concept in a minute, but number one, England have a training centre. And it, Martin, it was, you know, I was still living in London and working there, and I've been in Spain 15 years at a time when this was a, a national embarrassment. Where should it be cited? Who's influencing where it should be cited? The cost? How slow is it? How far behind? All this kind of stuff. Thank the Lord, uh, rather like Wembley, it's finally here. Maybe over budget, maybe it took too long to do, but it's having an impact. In my mind, I remember speaking to a friend of mine, Adrian Bevington, when he was then England national. I think he was called team manager or manager of England rather than coach. And um, he was like, he was, when, when I was writing the Spain book that you, you and Neil published, and he said, look, don't, don't, I'm worried about you calling St. George's or Burton as a, a magic wand, a panacea. Everything's going to go right because we've got a training centre. Now, that was never the, 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 the field of my investigation, but... You, you, you talking about fields? You have to seed a field to to get crops, and I was willing to say it looks like England have a a, a, a possibility here that their laboratory will eventually grow, if not success, then get rid of some of their imperfections, their impairments, and it, and I, I'd argue that that has happened, and that what I see across those generations, probably the most exciting one, although they haven't won. Yeah, the 19s won two tournaments, the 21s lost to Germany in a very exciting semi-final, which, in which I, th- I thought they played very well. 
I thought they might have gone through, and they'd have been a damn sight more entertaining in the final in uh, in Poland than um, than Germany were when they, they they crowded out Spain and, and didn't really want to play once they scored. But the 17s are the more exciting group in my mind. One because they've still got development. Two because there are several players. Whether you talk about McKechnie, whether you talk about Foden, whether you talk about Brewster, whether you talk about Sancho, and that's just a clutch out of maybe six or seven who I think readily catch your uh, your enthusiasm as well as your eye they, they can play uh, I'll finish this section of my uh, my my answer by by saying something you know that the first time I was an England correspondent the first match was England away at Switzerland in the in the build-up I, I, I think it must have been 97 the build-up to the World Cup in, in France Hoddle's the coach it was the famous occasion where he, he, he called um, Michael Owen not a natural finisher in the build-up to the game, but post-game when they when they drew one-one, he said that phrase that's echoed over the years. We, we couldn't pass to each other. Now his England side goes on to play quite well in patches in '98. From '98 onwards, the the overriding phrase that England manager after England manager has used to talk about tournament failure, aside from all the other things that they do wrong, is is the inability to pass the way creatively through a game, kill a game by keeping possession pass the way to open up tight defences, pass the way to cope with high temperatures. Now, this side can. The finals in Calcutta, it's against the Spain side, who are not by any means you know, a team of Albas and Iniestas, but they are smaller. Physically and athletically, there's a minor advantage to England, just as there was a year ago in Croatia when the game looked like it was going England's way until fifth, sixth minute of extra time when a header for Spain. Um, the, the England keeper, actually, who's now relegated to the bench in this tournament, Fumbles, you have to say, and then they lose on penalties. They, they had a bit of an advantage then, and it looked like I could see them through. It didn't. They've got a little bit of advantage um, in Calcutta tomorrow, but beyond that, they can play. They look completely comfortable on the ball, individually. And I, this I love. I've, all the time I've been in La Liga, when people just want to make comparisons or what keeps you there, there are more players in La Liga who have got the technique and the creativity and the cojones and, and the joie de vivre to go past a man. That thing about going past a man is still not only fundamental to why the three of us in the socios love football, it, it, it breaks all the research, it breaks all the video analysis, it breaks all the marketing schemes. This England side has got three or four who do that as if by second nature, but they can also pass. So I'll finish by saying, given who they're playing, Martin, here's a little challenge for you. I think you'll pass. Here's a quote from one of the finalists. We want to play with purpose, dominate possession, play forward and get the ball back as quickly as we can. That's always our plan. And we will never change our style or our way. Whoever we play, we can be a match for them and play better than our opposition. So like your starter for 10, you just press the button, you go, Greg, <laughs> and he's land. <laughs> well, I mean, it could be it could be Pep Guardiola, but I'm going to plump for Steve Cooper, the, the England under-17 manager. Spot on, spot on. And I, I knew you would know because it's what you led with. There is something happening. There is something different about English football. If that is the philosophy that these 17s have been trained for, for at least three years at national level and that phrase as you identify could have either been Aragonese or Del Bosque or Pep Guardiola or really any of the successful under 21 coaches um, under 19 coaches at Spain level whether it's Lopetegui whether it's Luis Milla and, and I, I, that's, when I hear that phrase from Steve Cooper 
you know, there are church bells of joy pealing in my ear. Thank, thank heavens, not just that they're, that they're playing like that, but they're teaching like that. Thank the Lord. I think we should throw people a couple of names, because if we're going to entice Socios to sit down tomorrow at half past three Eurosport and watch this game, then it's always nice to have a couple of names to look out for. Um, um, obviously, Rian Brewster's one name, but let's just focus on Phil Foden and just follow up the, the Guardiola theme, because um, I, I was really taken aback when I looked into Foden and, and his background, um, and I picked up some quotes from Pep from the summer. Now, Pep gave Foden a debut uh, in a pre-season friendly against Manchester United in the summer and he said after the game this is Pep talking about Phil Foden I don't have words I would like to have the right words to describe what I saw you, the media, the fans are the lucky guys who saw the first game for the first team for Manchester City of this guy it's a long time since I saw something like this his performance was another level he's 17 years old, he's a City player grew up in the academy, loves the club He's a City fan for us. He's a gift. He'll stay with us training in the pre-season and maybe he'll stay with us in the season because he's so special. Now, obviously, as a testimony to uh, his talents, that is uh, incredible comments, but also the fact that he is being so forthright uh, in talking about um, him as a 17-year-old and, and what he may or may not become. Uh, it's, it's a huge statement, um, but also coming from a guy who's the, the ultimate kind of tactical disciple. Look, I totally agree. And I think that, it, you know, if you're talking about to sit down and watch this game tomorrow in Calcutta on the box, if, if unless some of our socios happen to be in India, which I think is very possible because we do get a lot of fan uh, traffic from India, Foden is just a, is just some, somebody who will give you back something if you're if you're watching a game. If you're a City fan or an England fan, you know, you won't be able to sit down with excitement um, because this guy is the real deal. <laughs> Yeah, oh God, he's got like Young Johnson. Who was it? Michael Johnson was it? The the, the 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 midfield player for City and England who looked so fantastic, and 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 went awry. Foden's got more than him, and seems to have the personal makeup to to tilt at greatness. But you know, I'd go into the a reference point whereby I sat in the Camp Nou press room. Um, when Arsenal came, uh, having established a good first leg, uh, came to the camp now to play Barcelona in the Champions League, and pre-match, um, the the tabloid journalists from England very naturally and, I, and, and you know quite fairly said to Guardiola, not only the promoter of talent like um, Sergio Roberto and you know getting the best out of Iniesta and Busquets and and Xavi and and, and Keita and. They said to him, what about Wilshire, Jack Wilshire? And, and, and Guardiola, I was, I was there, so it, it was reported as a, as a slight, as a put-down, because it became a great back-page way to tart up something that was said and sell newsprint. But what he said was, well, we, yeah, I like him, but we've got several like him in our Cantera, in our youth system. And that was taken as a put-down, but it wasn't meant as such. It was meant that his clinical eye had said about Wilshire, yeah, there are things there, but I don't see him as exceptional. So set that template of words against the Pep Guardiola you've quoted about Foden, and and that kind of tells you what an extraordinary statement about Foden it is. And from my eye, I listen. We talk on this uh, big inside view because I have the fortune to live in Spain and meet these players and talk to these coaches, and I want to transmit that to the socios who are who've got their own views. Maybe some of their views will be better than mine. Um, their, maybe their eye will be better than mine, but they've got a thirst for 
some of the knowledge that I've got. So this is only personal opinion now. I want to bracket that off that when I look at him, at least what I've been taught by Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta and Xavi Alonso and, um, and Guardiola talking to them, listening to them, is that if you look at Foden, technically, apart from his control, which is now a given because either he's born with something that's special or, or it's been added to in the training he's had at City, I adore the way that he receives the ball in, in that it's all about what's the, what's the hips and the shoulders about what his body position is when he's taking the ball. And that's easy to... We've all been taught that that's a phrase to use. But I'm not using that phrase in isolation as, as I understand it. What that corresponds with is the other lovely cliche that everybody uses about... Um, is he's the big picture early. Uh, no, I shouldn't fool around. Where pe- people talk about footballers who see things around them, take snapshots of what's going on around them, and then use that. Now, Foden's clearly got some of that. Now, at his age... Everything we talk about has still to develop, and, and, and I'm certain Guardiola will be saying it, it still has to improve. But the basic thing is, he's got this fantastic sort of either peripheral or periscope vision, which he takes a snapshot of, understands it, and when he's showing for the ball, that's another thing, like Robbie Keane said to you and I in Dublin recently about Modric always wanting the ball. That's another component Foden has. But you can want the ball and then not necessarily do top-level things with it all the time. What he does is, is with the pictures of space and pictures of positioning that he uses, he'll open, he'll show for the, the pass in the way that he wants to receive it. His, his, when we talk about body shape, I'm talking about whether you're on your toes or on your heels, whether your hips are, are open or closed, whether you've got somebody coming to you you know you're going to have to turn whether your shoulders are, are shaped so you don't have to either don't have to touch a good pass or half touch a good pass, which goes back to the teaching, at, particularly at Football Club Barcelona, half touches where just the slightest dunt of the ball shifts it on and gives you a motion if the if the pass hasn't been quick enough. Foden's got all that. That's it's a long way to say that Foden has all that. But the other thing that I love is that, again, for my taste, having watched them for so many years, when people analyse the really good midfielders and, and patently I put Xabi Alonso and I put you know Cathorla and Thiago and Sergio Busquets in that category but if you go to the elite Iniesta and Xabi part of what they did with the brilliance of their control was use their own balance to unbalance others and and maybe Iniesta electrifies people more because he does that in motion on the run and Xabi would pass 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 and then shift, a, shift his equilibrium in order to use the space that he'd carved out. Maybe that's the principal difference between the two. Foden has some of those things, that when he's not just a, sink, a simple jink inside when he sees that now's the time that I can set my opponent off balance, in general, whether he's talking about reception of the ball, passing the ball, or how he moves on it, he's very good at unbalancing other footballs. And so he's just a pleasure to watch. And... Um, it, it, you, you, you put it out, Martin, for, for Guardiola to put that much pressure on his shoulders this early for a conservative man, it, it, he's got to be pretty damn confident about it. I mean, it's, it's obviously a testament to the, the, the kind of highly, highly technical work being done at the City Academy. Um, I, I wonder, in a kind of more systemic sense, like, is, is this kind of flourishing, this flowering that we're getting at youth level, um, is this, you know, partly to do with improved technical coaching at the academy level, but also maybe a, a change of culture, maybe a, a greater cooperation between clubs and the FA as well. I mean, is some of the, the Spain 
lessons to be to learned over the last decade or two in Spain? Are some of those words finally taking root uh, in English football? I think they, I think if if I was to say that this was a podcast where I can be forensic about that, it wouldn't be true. What I do know is, you know, having spoken to some people in the structure, um, the FA and the youth system, I know that there's a change in the style of coach that's being employed. There's a greater idea. So when we quoted uh, Steve Cooper's words there, rather than him being an isolated beacon of light in a foggy darkness, there are more people in administrative and executive and coaching roles who think like him than ever before. That's a positive. Secondly, I think that there has been... there, There will never be like... you know. I think you're fishing for what you know, that Spain still has a system whereby the clubs are bound by the FA. Even though there's a league and an FA, just like in England, they're bound to give their 15-year-olds, you know, the, the, the network of unpaid scouts around Spain um, sends in constant reports to the Spanish FA, Gines Melendez, particularly the youth talent coordinator, to say, this this um, 14-year-old will be ready for you um, next October at 15 to come down to Las Rosas, the training centre, the equivalent of St George's Park, near Madrid, and spend three weeks every three months both being taught as a person, being taught as a footballer, and being educated in school. Taken away from the home, family home, taken away from the club that potentially the club he's at. It may be that this is still a player who's at amateur level. That's quite feasible. But um, that, I, you know, that identical thing where, where you know that friendships are forged, where intelligence is is honed, where character is formed, where rules, football and personal, are dinned into players who then go on to win European Championship of the World Cup. I don't think that is going to be able to be implemented in England because of the power of the Premier League. However, there is now, between the academies and the FA and George's Park, St George's Park at Burton, there is a little bit more flexibility about sharing ideas, about coaches having access to, to players, um, whether it be at club level you know, from the FA or or at Burton, there is there has been there's more fluidity. It's less rigid. At the senior level, I don't see um, that the Premier League is yet in any way properly responsible for taking youth development seriously. Irrespective of the academies, the money, as a broad brush statement, those who take the crucial decisions across the top of the Premier League in the clubs. They, 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 they still feel, they're still complacent enough to feel that money solves everything. It's the frying panacea. It's it's just like, get the heat up high, throw in lots of big money signings, and there's our panacea. Uh, rather than build an identity, invest time in footballers who've come through your academy, help them develop, rather than say, oh, you've won something at national level, therefore you're a genius there, I'll put you in, and I want you to be winning winning us the game at Anfield with a goal that you've you know run from the halfway line, or I want you to be winning an FA Cup semi-final by commanding the game at 21. The responsibility lies with the clubs to say, yeah, we, we see that our system has helped you get this far, now it's down to us to, to do the rest. That that mentality still doesn't exist. But w- what's coming is, is a pressure pot situation where that bubbling pan of, hot water and nutritious broccoli is, is pushing at the silver lid and going like, whoa, 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 you're going to have to accept that something's happening. And the traditional lament of, in Scotland and England, since you and I, Neil, have been in, in 
in journalism, oh, there's a crop of youngsters who've done well. Will they make it individually? Which ones? Got? No, 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 no. When you've got a kid who can jump high, you don't give them a 62-foot wall and say, right, well, if you jump 16 feet, jump 62 feet. You build them a, a ladder. And, and that is what needs to happen. Well, well listen... Let, let, you don't like something I'm saying? No, 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 no. But no. In that, let let, but in let that. me just... Um, I've got this habit of quoting yourself back at you, um, but I'm, I'm actually doing it directly from the, the Spain book, which you wrote and we published in 2013. So when Spain lined up to face Italy in the final of Euro 2012, they looked like this. Casillas, Arbeloa, Pique, Ramos, Alba, Xavi, Busquets, Alonso, Silva, Fabregas, Iniesta. Those 11 players had amassed a remarkable 332 youth, youth Appearances for Spain. David Silva, the first scorer against Italy, led the group with 54 caps. Fabregas, who provided the assist, 38. So obviously, this this habit of winning at youth national level is conducive to senior success. It is if it's properly used. I think that I, that's what I was trying to. I don't know if I did it adequately. You you talked about cultural change. I think there's been a partial cultural change in England in that. It's always been my contention that, never mind Revista de la Liga, the magazine programme, simply the live broadcast of exceptionally technical and successful and sexy Spanish football into UK and Ireland homes over 21 years was inevitably going to be a gulf stream of warmth coming into football thinking, such that I've always contended that youngsters growing up would say, I support Rochdale or Rotherham or Wrexham or Aston Villa or Everton or West Brom or Liverpool or Man City, whoever. And I see how my team plays, but by and large, I I support them. But I I don't view football like that. I want technique. I want uh, dribbling. I want super passing. I want to put a premium on skill rather than power. And if that's a kid, that's how a young boy or a young girl, that's how they'll model their own development. A coach who maybe was, you know, 15, 16 and is, you know, in his late 30s or early 40s or her late 40s, early 40s now and has been addicted to watching La Liga and learning about it all life will automatically ask for smaller sized pitches, will ask for different kind of passing and dribbling drills. There has been a change in, in what's available for English football to use as brain fodder. And I think we're beginning to see in this, I think in the 17s, not just Cooper's words, if you watch how the 17s play, they look like an English Spain. And that's, I, I love saying that. But come back to your point, uh, the next part of the culture that has to change is, is to match what you were talking about and understanding that um, if you can take a group of players, because obviously in the senior side, you can you can make a melange, a mix of the the 21s that you've talked about, the 19s that you've talked about, and the 17s you've talked about, at a certain stage, that mix should be absolute dynamite. The bridge, you know, between the two, is that more clubs give them more time at a high senior level. And it's directly applicable to Spain. If you look back to the 99 uh, World Cup that Spain won, the first World Cup they won at any football level, which was the Youth World Cup in Nigeria, a, a phenomenal life experience. That, if, if you listen to Santi Denia, the current coach of the 17s who play England and Kolkata tomorrow, he says the organisers have been brilliant. India has been fantastic. Travel's been fun. The friendly atmosphere. He said India's culturally different, but it, it, 
it's almost as important to these kids to be in India for, you know, four weeks as it is for them to win the tournament because it's been culturally enriching. What a phrase that is. I mean, I love that. But it's been very different from Nigeria in 99 when Xavi and Ika Casillas and Carlos Marchena saw gunplay outside their hotel on the first day there. Um, had, you know, food they couldn't eat. Xavi got ill and started hallucinating. There was These players that won the World Cup had to sleep two to a bed. There were, the coach's father died. It was one of those experiences that could have been, you know, the raid on Entebbe. You know, it, it, it was it was like a, a commando mission into enemy territory and getting back out alive. And look, we're all, you know, all buddies forged in the forged in the heat of of potential well, disaster. I mean, there was actually there was actually talk of them going home, Spain going home because the, the conditions yeah, they were going to so, chuck it. Yeah, yeah, cockroaches and rats, and you know, it, it, and they didn't feel safe because there was shooting going on around them. It, it was it was in theory it was a horrific experience. They did hold a team meeting. And the coach said, listen, fellas, it was pretty brutal. Um, if you want to go with my sort of dirty, dirty dozen guns of Navarone kind of thing. He went, listen, listen, fellas, I've stayed out here when, my, when I should be going home for my father's funeral. What are you talking about going home for? You know, pull your, pull your spirits up and let's get on with it. I, all right, coach. That's a little bit of a thumbnail sketch. But compared to now in India, Santa Denia's experience has been... Um, has been completely different but um, I forget why I was going down the Santa Denia India experience but um, what what I would say because you asked me what about yeah experience so the, 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 the Spaniards that began to win tournaments back in 99 a year later they're in the they, they win the, the silver medal in the Sydney Olympics but they consistently then win what you're talking about they show culturally that their coaching is so good that there's just this continuous conveyor belt of talent and they win tournament after tournament. So the player who wins the 2008 final with his goal uh, and had won two previous youth-level European finals in 1-0 wins um, over France and Germany, Fernando Torres, he paints the situation retrospectively because you look back at 99 and from there forward to where we are now, Spain winning a series of youth tournaments, then winning three consecutive senior tournaments, and those same Spain players featuring in just an annihilation of European football at club level. And you think, well, it was all pre-programmed. The jigsaw was perfectly cut, and all the pieces fitted very simply together, and the big the big picture of the jigsaw was always going to come together. Not so, and therefore England pay attention. This is what Torres told me when he looked back at having won all, th- all three of 2008, 2010 and 2012. Fernando Torres told me. Traditionally, La Roja's biggest problem lay in the fact that Spanish players were not given opportunities in La Liga's biggest clubs. And nor did they tend to go abroad in those days. As a result, they didn't get experience in the great European teams. Go to any Spain World Cup squad between before 2006 and you'll see a mix of players from the big four clubs but also from five or six smaller clubs in Spain. We just weren't as competitive as we would have been if the squad list had been Chelsea, Arsenal, Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, Milan, Inter. Spanish football was wearing blinkers. That's his phrase. It didn't seem to occur to anybody to play overseas, and the country's hopes were all, therefore, pinned on the likes of Raul, Pep, Mendieta. And he he goes um, on about how the French team that won the 98 World Cup final came from a variety of different European clubs. And then he says, our guys, who were winning so much under-20 level with Spain were being told by their clubs 
that they weren't needed, that they bought better players. And that's when you see this exodus of footballers with all the skills they'd learned in Spanish youth football. Fabregas going to Arsenal at 15, PK next, Xabi Alonso and Arbeloa joining them in England. So his point is that there was a reason that some of the players were forced abroad and came back more more experienced, harder-nosed, more ready to win tournaments. But he says here, so you then got a kid from Arsenal going to the World Cup aged 19, Fabregas. If he'd stayed at Barca in those days, he'd have probably got his first cap aged 24, which is almost the age Iniesta had to wait until, even though he's a footballer with skills from another planet. And then he pays off by saying, because remember, Fernando Torres himself was a key player at his club, Atleti, aged 17, and a full international by 19. But Torres was cynical about it when he explained it to me. He himself says, if Atleti had been pushing for the title instead of in Division 2, then perhaps I'd not have been trusted so early. And if Spain were already world champions, I'd have had to wait much longer to make my debut. So, all I'm arguing now about the teams we're going to see with Brewster and McEachern, and let's, let's come to... Jaden Sancho in a minute that England team that we're going to see the, the culture at home needs to not be okay now you've proved yourself a little bit you need to be utterly exceptional again you know you need to look like a, a 19 year old who's act, who's playing like a 24 year old before we'll give you a chance the the onus the impetus now lies with the clubs that own them to say you're already good enough you, you, you will get 10 starts this season or next season, and they've got 15 the next. And they, they don't they don't prove it on loan, they prove it at their parent club. That's the door opening that needs to happen, and it's not happening because the money is the frying panacea. Let's buy somebody. Let's buy this um, Brazilian. Let's buy this Frenchman who's 26, 27, instead of promoting. That's wrong, and they need to change that. And I tell you something else, Martin, the Premier League will be a damn sight more skillful, entertaining, and marketable by the time it's full of first-team footballers from this 21, 19 and 17s group that England have shown us over the last 12 months is very, very competitive. They won't all make it. Yeah. They just won't. But they, they need a new means of showing whether they're going to make it or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, going back to the, the Foden example, do you think Pep will fall through? Do you think he will give Foden the 10 starts, 15 or I mean, how do you how do you see that trajectory going? Because he's 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 the guy who shocked the hell out of Sergio Roberto. Sergio Roberto hadn't even played for the the, the junior team, Barca B, by the time that Pep, okay with two three minutes. Okay, it, it proves to be four or five minutes left with added time. When he brings Sergio Roberto on in the Champions League semi final at Madrid in 2011, Sergio Roberto couldn't believe he was in the squad. Couldn't believe he'd made the bench. And then when Pep turns to him, I, I know this because I was, speak, I was interviewing Sergio Roberto two weeks ago. <laughs> he, he looked around when Pep sort of did the old Robbie Coltrane, you know, lottery thing. You. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wanted him to come on. He looked at all the other senior players on the bench who could have, you know, wiled away five, six minutes. Pep said, no, 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 it's you. It's you. And here he is now. Um, he'll, he'll, like Iniesta's applauded at every ground around the country before winning the World Cup. When he, whenever he comes on, under any circumstances, at captain, Sergio Roberto is given a standing ovation because of that unbelievable goal he scored to make it 6-1 against Paris Saint-Germain. And for connoisseurs like the socios, and for you and me, Sergio Roberto is important in a Foden example because he's a gifted footballer who 
has been maintained at the club and Tito Villanova saw his worth and gradually he's been introduced and given a place by Luis Enrique and would have been given a, a far, I mean, flipping heck, poor old, he's at Cuenca. Because of injuries, I stress, is now, you know, having to pick his way through, I can't make it, it was Granada last season, I've lost track of where he is right now, but Cuenca was, was played in the Champions League semi-final home leg against um, Chelsea, in 2012, when which became Pep's last ever game, made the goal for Sergio Busquets to make the tie 1-1. Foden will get the chances that he earns. My concern would be when Pep was saying recently about last it was last May, the academy players don't play in competitive football. Then that can stagnate anybody, and that's why you've got Maffeo and you've got uh, Luis and you've got um, Coyote and um, at one uh, Alex Garcia at Girona. Because he's, he, he wants to have competitive football. It's interesting that Cooper's starting 11 against Brazil had three from Man City, four from Chelsea, and one from Liverpool, one from Spurs. Um, so the challenge is really for these clubs to, to, to back that talent, not just up to the, you know, the age of 17, 18, where they ship them out for three or four seasons on loan. It's actually to, to do as you say and say, well, there you go. Like there's, there's 10, there's yeah, 10, 15 the, stars. The big, the big thing is what you're saying is like, it, it's loans are not spo- supposed to be outside out of mind. The idea, the idea is, and I've spoken to many of the the Dutch development people who who question the loan system about do, do English big English clubs properly monitor a player they've got out on loan? Is it a, a is it a way of saying flipping out? We don't know what to do with this fellow. Well, I tell you what, we'll do loan him out, and then we'll look as if we're doing something structural, and nobody goes to look at him properly, monitors his development, how's he settling in. Has he developed the language? How's he playing? Is it the right place to loan them to? I mean, talk about control. Pep Guardiola um, has lent these players, I talked about Garcia and um, Maffeo and Coyote and whoever else, to, to a football club where you know, Manchester City are investors and his brother is a co-owner. You know, <laughs> Talk about control and monitoring. While, they've, made the, while they've, they've seeded and are now getting the crop of that first generation change of how England play, and whether it's successful or not, it's then what you do with it. And, and the old attitude about, right, kids, that's all very well what you've done so far, but, you know, you're, you're not getting a first-team place until you're 24 because we've bought a Colombian. That, that has to change. City will be brilliantly informed about how Foden's played in this tournament. Remember that under the... Um, the Chiquipacuristan regime, it was when Argentina won the World Cup at youth level, I think in 2005, summer, I think, that they're there, they watch every game, they, they monitor Messi, and they understand that instantly they've got to reward him with um, telling him about the way they plan to develop the squad and be giving him a stonking new contract. And Bacuristan's network will have made sure that, that Foden is being monitored right throughout that tournament in India, not on camera. And therefore... City have learned over the last few games about this this kid and that will guide um, Guardiola in terms of when Foden plays and how often he plays and you know sorry Nuno sorry Wolves that the penalty shootout went against the other day but Foden's chances of first team football increases with the fact that Man City stayed in the in the League Cup I was actually just reminded there about um, the Pep Confidential book and Pep takes on a, a kind of project with uh, Pierre-Emile Hjoberg um, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and, and he played them. I mean, my, my memory is in that season that he, he put them into big games to, to accelerate, try and accelerate his development. He did. It's a really, really sad story because he, 
he, he sees Hoiberg as, as a footballer of immense ability and, and he doesn't care about his age because um, the kid has the right playing temperament and ability and physique. But one thing after another, um, you know, very soon after he's breaking through Hoiberg's father dies, um, that definitely affects the kid. And it, there is no question, it becomes one of the relationships whereby the footballer and Pep Guardiola do, do not see eye to eye. And effectively, they fall out, even though, you know, Heiberg has, has, has found a patron, you know, somebody who believes in him and who's willing to, to, to take risks on him. They, they, they don't get on. And, and Guardiola increasingly regards Heiberg as somebody with more opinions than ability to listen. And, and, and that's why they, that's why they part ways. And, and clearly, although he's a player of relevance to Southampton, and, and clearly, although he, he's important to his national side, there's no doubt that he hasn't moved on as much as he should have in the ensuing uh, ensuing years. Absolutely. Listen, if this podcast, this special edition of the Inside View has not inspired you to watch England-Spain tomorrow live in Eurosport, then I don't know what will. Let's, let's at least pick out, I guess, a couple of the... The Spaniards, so that we we, we balance that because this has been a very Eng- England centric. Gelabert, who's the the creative guy behind the strikers, is somebody who wasn't expected to run this tournament, wasn't expected to be an automatic starter, but has made him so. Uh, made himself so. Pardon me, Ferran Torres, um, who scored the header, um, which kind of sealed the game against Mali, the semi final against Mali. Given that Mali had a a good goal, improperly disallowed because it had crossed the line. It's Torres' header that, that, that puts Spain for sure in the final, even if that goal had been allowed. The outstanding name, the outstanding promise, given how many goals he scores, and, and, and did so at the Euros a year ago when, um, when Spain beat England on penalties, is Abel Ruiz, the, the Barca player that is, 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 is now is an out-and-out centre-forward of that team. He's the one that looks um, probably like Brewster for for England, the most grown up, the most the, the guy who's already a a man uh, in terms of physique, attitude, um, instincts, street wisdom, if that's a phrase. So I, I, I enjoy them very much indeed. The other one um, I'm certain is a Madrid prospect is Moha, who has had um, light and shade in this tournament, but can play can definitely play. And therefore, you know, if if Moha and Torres and Gilbert and Abel Ruiz don't enter, entertain you tomorrow afternoon live from Kolkata, um, which is where I presume uh, our friends Robbie Keane and Teddy Sheringham are right now, centre of the football world, guys. If they don't entertain you, then I'm sorry. Um, I was only telling you the guys I like to watch. My opinion, although you haven't pushed me for it, my opinion um, is that I think even without um, Sancho, and I want to make clear that my my bemusement, it's a bit ironic, but my bemusement that Sancho has been called back to Dortmund from a FIFA tournament, that I can't understand why a FIFA tournament doesn't have precedence unless it's been agreed by England and Sancho and Dortmund that irrespective of the rules, if you need him, you can have him. He, he came through. I mean, think about this. Sancho came through um, some time at the academy um with Foden and Maffeo, who's at um, who man marked Messi for Girona the other week, and and 
went to Dortmund because he felt he was going to get better first team chances. Dortmund said, we need you and have called him back. And he played in midweek in the cup too. Um, not a lot of time, but he's not, he wasn't in the semi-final. He's not going to be in this final. I, you know, I'm not wearing my England flag as I'm saying this, but I find that really frustrating for football that we're not going to see the best 11 against the best 11. Good luck, Dortmund. And hell's teeth is what Fernando Torres was talking about. There's, there's Zork's club, even before I think about Peter Bosch, but Zork is the, you know, Zork is the football brain behind that club. Ex-footballer played nearly 400 times for them, came on in the, the final that they beat uh, Juventus in, in Munich, has been their football director for the longest time and took them away from the, from the precipice when, when they, they were about to go bankrupt and, and, and were threatened with relegation too. So Sancho is getting what we've been advocating. These players need to get first team experience, but fucking hell, I wish he was playing in Spain. So even without him, I don't know. My instinct tells me that um, as good as Abel Ruiz is, um, Bruce is in such extraordinary form. I don't know the temperature in Calcutta at this time of year in, in at that time of kickoff, Martin. I don't know if you've checked or not. I want to check now as we're speaking. But um, I have England as minute favourites. With the revenge motif, um, looking at a year ago, how how much it looked like they were going to win that match, their scoring form, and the fact that they are that sort of slightly physically and athletically more robust in Spain, I have a slight feeling um, that maybe they win this. Uh, 31 degrees tomorrow in Kolkata. Well, that... that that obviously gives a little boost up to Spain. They're more accustomed to playing in that, and um, maybe as the match goes on, maybe that's something that gently plays in Spain's favour. There, there clearly isn't a great deal between the two sides, but I watched the first game where Spain lost against Brazil, and then I watched England destroy Brazil. I thought they were comfortably ahead of Brazil in their semi-final to a greater degree than Spain were comfortably ahead of Mali. So instinct tells me I've got a, a slight suspicion that England maybe win this, but it, it's a nice final to be watching because I won't be unhappy whichever of them wins it. Graham, it's been a pleasure. I, I love it when a recording comes together. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, listen, all right, all right, listen. You can't make snide little inside jokes like that. What he means, folks, socios, is that I, I pressed the wrong button last time and, and began recording uh, Radio 4's breakfast show compared to recording this conversation. So. If you're hearing it, it means I pressed the right button this time. We'll be back next week with another full inside view and also a slice of our big interview with Super Kevin Phillips. If you want to hear that full interview on November the 1st, plus hours of exclusive content, head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to become a socio.